Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. Art and business can feel like two totally separate worlds in completely different galaxies, but my guest this week, Erica Ando, brings them together. Erica tells us about her late ish discovery of painting and art, how she started her own successful design business, and what led her to leave that business and work to create The Empowered Artist, where she helps other artists get their own businesses up and running. We talk about how fear distorts our thinking about ourselves and our possibilities, how reality doesn't create our thoughts and feelings, that's actually completely backwards, how we correctly and incorrectly assess our value, and a lot more. I think you'll really enjoy my conversation with Erica Ando. Erica Ando, I am so excited to talk to you today. Because so to talk to you. Like you, I, I, I just know you have a really interesting story. So <laughs> how, how do you know that? <laughs> I just know from what I already because know about you. Everybody has an interesting story. That is true. And far too many people do not think that they do. Yeah. But that's the, well, that's the whole thing, right? That is the whole thing. But I want to hear how you got started on your creative journey. Well, I mean, I don't know how far back you want to go. Far but... back as you want to go. Okay. So I was never the kid who, you know, I was never um, the artistic one, right? I did really well in math in school. I got like all the science and math awards. I did all that. I went to college. I went to an Ivy League school and in the middle of that, a roommate of mine said, hey, let's take a painting class. It'll be fun. And so I started going to the painting class and then I took another and then I took another and I loved it so much. It was, um, I, and I think I had never felt that before for anything like math or science. I was good at it and it gave me some satisfaction to be good at it, but I never felt that, oh my God, this is so amazing feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up going to art school and, um, and I think the people around me like were just flabbergasted that I would do that. Um, and I think it's, I have done things like that in my life, just totally shifted mm -hmm. when inside me, I thought it was kind of normal and everybody outside of me thought it was a little crazy. Um, and so went to art school, uh, went to more art school. So I got a master's <laughs> in art and, and I loved every minute of it. Even when I hated it, I loved it and, um, got out of art school and surprise, surprise, couldn't get a job as a sculptor I'm using mm -hmm. air quotes, you know, because you don't get a job as an artist, as a fine artist. Um, so I started working in design and at the time, I think now it's, more accepted that design and fine arts crossover. But back then in the nineties, mm -hmm. it was like, Oh my God, I was kind of embarrassed actually to tell people that I was working in design and I'd done all those other fine arts jobs. Like I'd worked in a gallery, I'd assisted artists, I'd done all those things. And <clears throat> I mean, it was just so exhausting um, working like that. And in design, I felt like I could actually be creative in my job instead of helping other people be creative or, you know, doing paperwork so other people could be creative. I felt that I could be creative in my job. Um, so I, I worked for other people in fashion design. I, I 
ended up opening my own business, which I had for eight years. It was um, basically I made a lot of I designed a lot of textiles and made scarves and handbags. I sold them all over the world. Um, it was it was a really good business, except that I ended up getting business fatigued. Mm-hmm. It ended up being all about the business, and you know I think if I had known then what I know now, it would have been different. I could have approached it a lot more differently, but I was so burnt out that um, I said, forget it. You know, I'm not doing this anymore. Forget it. Um, and it, yeah, the, I love the creative parts, but that the creative part became smaller and smaller and more pressured. I was under mm-hmm. pressure to create because there's this expectation that you have to come up with something new eight times a year. And it's pretty crazy. Um, but then, so, um, I was kind of, oh, when, when I was in the middle of my business, I was in a car accident. I was living in New York city. Yeah. I was walking across the street and I was swiped by a van and I don't think I, I I didn't break anything, but I, I was in so much pain. Mm -hmm. I had pain all over my body for a long time. And it got to where I was, and this is why I had my business. I was thinking, oh my God, I have so much pain. I'm, I don't, you know, it was like my late twenties, so much pain. And I was thinking, am I, is is it just downhill from here? Am I just going to have pain for the rest of my life? And I went to physical therapy. I got, you know, tried all these different things. And I found um, the Feldenkrais method which mm. is, it's Feldenkrais, F-E-L-D-E-N-K-R-A-I-S method, which is, um, it's like a, it's a neurological education, neuroeducation, somatic education. So it's uh, kind of retraining your mind to train your body. And it uses awareness as um, its, it's main the main way you do it is through awareness. And so I think that actually just got me started on a path, which I've gone in and out of since then. Um, but I think it's where I really started um, more of um, an internal journey rather than being so externally driven. Um, and then, so I did that. I ended up getting certified to do that. And... As I was winding down on my um, my fashion business, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to, um, and I was teaching Feldenkrais Method. I would teach in yoga studios. And I had clients who are old, older people, old people, and, and also athletes. Um, and, and I was remembering, no, and I thought at that point, okay, I could, to take this to the next step, I think I would have to get some kind of certification so I could actually, I mean, there are, you know, you'd have to get some places you really have to get licensed in order to touch people. Mm. I mean, it's fully, fully clothed, but you still have to, in Florida where I was living, you had to be, um, you had to be licensed as some kind of medical uh, professional. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that wasn't, that's not the case in other parts of the country, you know, especially because it's, it, 
if it's considered educational and not therapeutic. Right. Um, yeah, you can you can touch people and they're fully clothed and it's okay. Um, so at the time, I was thinking, um, you know, I could get a massage license. Mm-hmm. And that didn't appeal to me. I could get a nursing degree. That didn't appeal to me either. And just thinking about the education and what I would have to do was just so unappealing. Um, and um, and I loved the method, but it was fi- it was finding it hard to get anything going if I wanted it to be a career. Right. And so at that point, I thought I'm going to go back into art. <laughs> and that was one of those other times when I just made a kind of shift, and I joined a PhD program in my local university. And I got a degree in um, comparative studies, but I basically studied museums and art museums and communities. Wow. Yeah. And that took me a long time. But during that time, I started working as an art writer. And I did that for eight years. I think eight years is like what I do, (laughs) how long I do things. But so I became an art writer. Um, I got to know, uh, so I wrote in Miami. I wrote some in New York. I really like, I really loved doing that art writing, but the freelance life of writing and editing and all that stuff just grinded on me. I mean, it was really, um, it was a really a, um, grind and I was working way more than I was getting paid. I mean, I did things like I taught art history. I, um, edited, I, you know, I helped artists a lot with their proposals and their statements and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I was giving them career advice. And so I, I think I just hit a wall where I thought, I, this is, I can't do this. This is really bad. And um, ended up getting a coach. And that's how I started getting coaching. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, and that just completely changed everything for me and um i discovered that oh i could actually be a coach and i could make this into a career and it was this oh my god i can't even believe people do this it's amazing and so i um started a a coaching business last year in 2019 and um and now i'm coaching artists and having a great time and learning a ton and growing a ton that's fantastic Okay, that was a long, that was a long story. <laughs> That's all right. There, there are a couple things that you said that I want to go back to, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I'm curious when you said that there, there have been times when you've made this decision to do something and, and people have just, you know, you thought it was the most natural thing in the world and everybody else thought that it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that. Like, did, did you get a lot of pushback or was it just sort of this subtle sense? Like they kind of looked at you funny from across the room and said, yeah, okay, crazy lady, go do whatever you want. You know, how, how did that go? Yeah. It's so interesting because I think that people, you know, people get used to how you are. Mm-hmm. And they get used to the relationship that you have with them. And I tell this to my clients too, because um, you can think of your, you can try to think of yourself as a better version of you, a different version of you. And but other people don't see that, and it's somehow threatening to them. And yeah, I think I saw that. Um, you know, it would be things like, oh, um, but don't you want to have, you know, a full time job? 
with um, all the benefits and, you know, because I quit a job with all mm -hmm. that to go out on my own and uh, start a business. Um, and it's, and it's not really that they're being, you know, they're feeling, they're not feeling threatened or anything like that, but, um, or I mean, they, they could be, but that they are actually trying to help you. Mm -hmm. So people are actually trying to help me. And, you know, when you're, especially, um, in this stage where you think it, it's a good idea, but you're still not sure. Cause I think you're never hundred percent sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point you're unsure and vulnerable and people try to help you and then you get all kinds of messages. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, um, it could have been pushed back. Like, yes, this is what's better for you because you're so unsure. Maybe you shouldn't be doing that to, um, okay, just there you are across the room. I think the people, <laughs> actually the people who are closer to me tended to be more extreme, mm -hmm. you know, because they, you know, people want you to be happy. Yeah. But what they think will make you happy is not always what will. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 And also happy is kind of a momentary thing. So maybe they just want you not to feel the pain in the moment. Mm -hmm. Right. But ultimately your pain will be greater if you don't feel that pain in the moment. Yes. And happy is so vague too. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like like, you know, we hear about it on the news or whatever, you know, like the Yale course that's the most popular is the course yes. about how to be happy, you know? And I'm like, right. what does that even really mean? When you break it down, I wonder how many mm -hmm. of us ever actually figure out what that means for us. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a huge cultural expectation that we have to be happy all the time. Mm -hmm. And we think that, uh, I talk to a lot of people who think, that if they could just do their art all the time, they would be happy. As if happy, I mean, happy is like the new money, <laughs> right? I mean, happy is the new currency. Yeah. But there's so much more to that goes into it than that. Yeah. And also, why do you think that you should be happy all the time? <laughs> yeah. We're human. Right? We're not we're machines. Human. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're human. Yeah. We're supposed to feel bad sometimes. Yeah, life is not supposed to be an easy straight line. And if it is, we'd all mm -hmm. be so bored. Yeah, we would be bored and we would be boring. Yeah. 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 So how did you get through the, you know, but shouldn't you want this thing that will make you happy rather than, but I want this other thing that I'm pretty sure will make me happy that I'm drawn to do. How, how did you get through that? I think it really helped me that I had a coach. I mean, that helped me. I think that helped me more. I think, I mean, a hundred percent, it was that having somebody to say, Hey, look, if this is what you want here, you know, you can have it. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's okay if those people don't come along because they just, you know, they're thinking about you, but maybe they just, they aren't thinking about you as you are going to be in yeah. the future. Yeah. I, I, really, think I mean, yeah. I think your point about how, you know, you can see you in a different way, but other people have more trouble with that. I think that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially if you're, 
you know, if you're trying to be more creative or do you're trying to do something that's different for you, um, that it also, so even though you might think of yourself as this different version, it all, it comes with so much fear, Mm -hmm. you know, I, well, I could be wrong. They could be right. You know, there's so much fear because we're just programmed to have, we're just programmed to have fear. You know, we're not, we're programmed to, um, you know, evolutionary, evolutionarily, um, <laughs> if we left the comfort of our people, right? we could like, we could literally die. Right. You know, we could, we could not eat, um, but it's just not a, it's not an appropriate way to think right now and but we still have that response and it feels like that it can feel like that i'm gonna die mm -hmm. i'm gonna die because i don't have the support of that person yeah it's terrifying but it's mm -hmm. probably not based in reality and mm -hmm. you know i think one of the things that i certainly find hardest to remind myself sometimes so i'm sure other people do you know you can't live your entire life in fear Oh, no. You know, yeah. I mean, that's not not healthy either. And there are mm -hmm. people who I really think do that. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know, you're here to have a life, not not a giant fear for how many yeah. years. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'll tell I tell clients that you're going to feel fear. Just accept you're going to feel it because that just comes with the territory. You'll feel you'll feel it, but just do it anyway. You know, yeah, just do it. Do it anyway. I think you know, and and obviously there are exceptions to this, and you don't want to say it about absolutely everything. But I think mm -hmm. that a lot of the time, fear is just a sign that you're pushing a boundary and that you're actually totally crossing into new territory. And exactly. that you know, yeah, you may not know where you are, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't. Listen to the fear if, you know, you might be thinking about jumping off a tall building without a parachute, but otherwise, <laughs> you, know, you, you might not want to pay as much attention to it. Yeah. I say, you know, pay attention to it, even invite it in, mm. invite it in, because I think that being able to look at it, inviting it in, in other words, just saying, okay, I feel fear. I'm afraid. And um, I'll do it for myself. I'll tell other people to do it. Just write down all your fears so you can see them. And when you can see them, um, it's just one more, it's one step that you remove yourself and mm -hmm. you can look at, you just look at them and say, Oh my God, that's what I actually think. That's what it's actually going through my brain. And then I think, and I think when you're able to do that, then you can pass on to that other level instead of white knuckling it yeah and and i'm also reminded that i heard i heard this for the first time or back in the spring and it it's literally i was i was walking across the room as i as i heard it and it literally stopped me in my tracks that you know anything you push against gets stronger mm -hmm. so i think yeah, the totally. idea of letting it in and looking at it, it you know if you're pushing against it and, and we're so conditioned to think that everything has to be work, that that feels normal to push against something like mm -hmm. that. Yep. And the fact that it gets stronger, that feels normal and like something that we should just, you know, power through and, and mm -hmm. whatever. And it would be a whole lot easier if we just let ourselves feel it. 
but I think yeah. a lot of the time we're more afraid of being afraid yes. than than anything else. Yes. And so, which is another thing that is often hard to remember. But if you if you let it in, mm-hmm. it tends to just kind of have its moment and leave you alone, or at least not be as loud. Yeah, I think there's all kinds of all kinds of things that we feel around the fear, like the fear about the fear, shame about the fear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I shouldn't be feeling this way, right? I think people think that I shouldn't be feeling fear. You know, this is something I've wanted to do my whole life. Why am I feeling this? Um, <clears throat> it could even be, you know, I gave up so much to go down this path. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And the shame is actually worse than the actual fear. Yeah. You know, so if you can look at the fear and even look at the shame of the fear, I mean, it gets so complicated, Mm -hmm. but if you can look at those and just, yeah, I find that, you know, sometimes people even have a hard time writing those things down because they don't want to see that, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and those people will say, oh, every, you know, I'm positive. I'm doing, working on being positive. But it's really hard to just even pass through to that next level because it's because you haven't um, just given yourself the opportunity to observe the fear and just make it neutral. Yeah, it's like we're trying to bypass it. You know, yeah. you want to get in the yeah. express lane rather than yeah. stopping on the local. You know, to yeah. to actually see what's there, which I think is totally natural, but it also you know, it's the stuff that we tell ourselves about being afraid that makes it so bad. Yeah. Yes. Note to self. Remember you said this. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's true, you know, and then you get into that spiral where you can't get out of it. And yeah, it just completely gets out of control. Yeah. And I, I, and the other, yes. And you're, it's, it's normal, you know, our, brains are supposed to keep us from doing anything too dangerous or, um, you know, something that we, our brains perceive as dangerous, which is doing something that's out of our box or not what we're supposed to be doing or what we're used to do, what we're used to doing. Um, because even if it's, even if it doesn't feel good, it's familiar and therefore comfortable. Yeah. And yet, you know, what's really interesting is that we get, we get focused on the fear of I'm going to do something different. And first of all, our culture tells us that we shouldn't feel fear. And so we want to hide the fear from everybody else. And if we can hide it from ourselves, bonus points. And then, (laughs) you know, but we're also afraid that people will reject us or tell us we're crazy or that they might be right. And we'll end up living in that cardboard box somewhere on a dusty street. And we focus all of our attention on how all of that stuff would feel. But Mm. there's a reason that we want to do the other stuff. And it's because we think doing the other stuff would feel freaking fantastic. Yeah. And we don't focus on that. Mm-hmm. We focus on all of the stuff that we think will happen if we try to go for the other thing and fail. Mm-hmm. We never really, I mean, we have to have thought for at least a couple of minutes about how great it would feel to try the other thing and succeed. 
But yeah. then we lose that feeling because we land back in the, I'm going to die. Everyone will hate me. They'll all be right. And I will live in shame in a hole in the ground for the rest of my life, which mm-hmm. will be five days because that will be all it will take to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we never, we never focus on the rest of it. And I'm just, just as we're talking, it's, you know, like, how important is it to focus on how you want to feel Mm -hmm. and how this other thing will feel or should feel? And I mean, there's no guarantee that it will feel exactly that way. And there may be parts along the way where it's like, whoa, now I'm a little terrified, you know, like, I'm not sure the parachute's going to open. Oh, crap. Mm -hmm. What do I do now? Um, But, but still, most of the things we want to try are not actually deadly. You know, taking a painting class, if it turns out you're a terrible painter, you'll still be alive at the end of it. Yes. The only difference is that now you will know that you're a terrible painter. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe you haven't found the right teacher or the right medium. I mean, it could be all sorts of things, but a lot of people decide that they're a terrible painter. But even if that's true, okay, so now you go and you try origami or you take singing lessons or, you know, you've just knocked one thing off the list and now you're clear to find something else, but we just, we don't think about it that way and it cripples us. Yeah. I mean, again, in terms of evolution, our brains are meant to pick up on those, those uh, potentially dangerous things. Mm -hmm. So if you weren't, if you weren't completely alert to something that could hurt you, uh, you could literally die. You could literally die and, you know, if you, but if you had been focusing on how nice the trees look and the flowers look, but you didn't see the lion, you would have been right. dead. So we're, we're just um, wired to focus on the negative thing mm-hmm. or the thing that could really hurt us. Um, and I think it's just, you know, reminding yourself that it's just totally normal to feel like this. It's totally normal to feel scared. Um, and like you said, when you're trying to do something different, it's a signal to you that you're you're doing something that's different and out of your box and out of your comfort zone. And that's why your brain is firing all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, it's supposed to. It's supposed to do that. And um, sort of overriding, learning how to um, do things anyway. So then after a while, your brain says, oh, okay, that's a new pattern okay, I see that's a pattern because mm-hmm. your brain loves patterns. Your brain loves patterns and wants to conserve energy, doesn't want to do anything um, out of the box. So you create a new box. Yeah. And after a while, your brain says, okay, that's the new box. That's new box. Um, and so, yeah, I always say just do it anyway. You're mm-hmm. going to feel bad. You're going to feel bad. Right. But over time, you'll feel worse. You, and potentially you will yeah. feel worse by not being uncomfortable now. Right. And, you know, there's there's that quote about how 20 years from now, the things you'll regret aren't the things you did. They're the things you didn't do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's something to be said for, hey, I tried painting. Wasn't my thing. You know, rather than I always wanted to try that, but I was too scared. I mean, which one feels mm. better? You don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I also wanted to ask you, you, you said when you were talking about art school that even when you hated it, you loved it. And I'm yeah. just wondering, oh. you know, if you can tell us more about that. Oh, I think there's a part of it that's, um, it's so intense. 
-hmm. there's a part of it that's so intense it's not that um you know there are like nasty critiques and um you know people uh fighting over who's right and things like that which i i mean actually i look at now and think that that is like very unhealthy yeah <laughs> it's kind of i think it's actually really super unhealthy um but i still liked it you know i still liked it because i think because it was intense and i was learning mhm mm so um yeah that's a good question because i think hmm i liked it what did i like about it when i hated it because i remember feeling very uncomfortable sometimes and same thing i think i was learning all a lot of different things i also think that there's a part of um and i think it might even be worse now um learning art in school mm -hmm. um that has to do with hierarchies and power and i think i do think it's worse now because i taught recently on the university level and um it's really different from the way i went to school i think it was a little looser back then mm -hmm. um in terms of syllabus grades expectations um yeah i think it's not always the most nurturing place yeah school and yet if you loved it there must have been enough that was encouraging about it that you weren't you know dissuaded and persuaded to oh, drop no. out i mean most of the time i loved it yeah so there were were your were the faculty encouraging or was that where the nasty critique came from or was it some of no, each i think they're all i think you know it's not so much so you know you want to learn mm -hmm. right and being encouraged is part of that but also being told hey this isn't working is also part of that mm -hmm. and i think um um yeah i don't know it was so long ago i'm thinking <laughs> um <laughs> it was long ago but i'm also thinking about critiques that i've seen and uh, seen recently and how some of them can be really um brutal in a really an unkind way yeah yeah we i i did an interview going on two years ago where we talked mm -hmm. a lot about criticism culture mm -hmm. and i had never heard it put that way before but there mm -hmm. is and this is part of why i asked that question like mm -hmm. i was very fortunate in that my mfa program you know you you hear these horror stories about writing mfas where you know you go in and it's a workshop and it's dog eat dog and everybody mm -hmm. is trying really hard to savage everybody else's work so that they look better that somehow that makes their work look better which if you stop and think about that for even five seconds you realize yeah. that makes no sense at all but it's like the yeah. winner is the person who gets out with the least metaphorical blood on them yeah and my mfa program was not like that and you know it was really very encouraging and even when people would say this isn't working they would say 
you know, this part has too much of this, you know, you're telling too much here and it would be so much stronger if you would show it instead, you know, rather than you're an idiot and this is terrible and, you know, that kind of stuff. So for two years, I did not have to deal with that kind of thing. But you hear about so many MFA programs, including really highly regarded MFA programs Mm -hmm. where that kind of stuff happens all the time. And so I feel like, you know, Goddard was a really rarefied, beautiful environment because Mm -hmm. you learn better that way. Who's going to learn anything if they're constantly feeling like they're being stabbed in the back? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about, so when I think about um, what was painful um, in art school, I think it, a lot of it, no, I, I really, I think especially my MFA program, it was pretty encouraging. Mm-hmm. It's encouraging. It was intense, but it was encouraging. And, and I think, um, but you have, it's not just that though. There are all kinds of expectations that you get just from the culture, mm-hmm. not the, not the school culture, right? but the culture of just doing better or being a professional or being, um, an MFA student, I think there are all kinds of lessons you absorb from that. And, um, it could just, could have been that I, um, was having, I was, uh, holding myself to a standard Mm -hmm. and beating myself up when I didn't reach that. Yeah. Yeah. The criticism culture reaches deep. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was just talking to, to someone else, not for the podcast, who was saying that he's obsessed with progress, mm-hmm. that, you know, he has to be progressing all the time and everything. And just listening to him, I thought, oh, my God, give yourself a break. It's like, so I'm exhausting. tired just hearing you talk about this, you know, yeah. and, and he's, you, you know, finished undergrad around like not quite 10 years ago. So I'm going okay, you, you wait till you get a couple more years on you. Maybe you can do that for now, but Laura, don't do it to yourself forever. Cause have a life. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. We, yeah. we do. And I think, you know, I didn't ask him cause it probably would have seemed rude, but I wanted to say, so where did you get this idea that you need to be obsessed with this? But I think it yeah. is, you know, I mean, you look at the culture and you look at like titles of business books or, you know, mm-hmm. Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or Steve Jobs or whatever, and this relentless pursuit of whatever. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, who else had a relentless pursuit? Captain Ahab. Yeah. <laughs> the great white whale (laughs) and look what it Mm -hmm. did to him but but yeah i mean i think it's okay to give yourself a break it's okay to not be perfect and it's okay not to yeah feel like you have to tear other people apart to make yourself look or feel better absolutely which i think happens too much in those places i think they can be really unhealthy yeah absolutely i i think it's the feeling that there's a lot at stake and there's not enough for everybody to go around and um everybody's you know there's competition yeah and you know i'm not convinced that 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 sense that there's not enough for everybody to go around is it all based in reality no i don't think it's true i think it's just a perception yeah but we let it drive us crazy because we think it's true yeah we think it's true we're really good Absolutely. at messing with ourselves we are <laughs> Yeah, it's it's amazing that we do anything. It really is. And it's all this culture level stuff. Yeah, that gets internalized. 
which I think gets back into the fear, right? We're, we're afraid of doing something different because the mm-hmm. culture says, and we think the culture is right, even though mm-hmm. there's something in us that points somewhere else and says, no, 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 you don't need to be in this rat race. You can go and do this other thing and it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. And we're at this tug of war between what we feel and, and where we're pulled and where the culture says we should be going. Yeah, and I think it's true even when you're, you know, you decide to be a writer, right? Mm-hmm. Or you decide to be a, an artist. Even it, because the, then from there, there are all, all kinds of distinctions to be made. So you can always compare yourself. Yeah. And I think with, pro- I mean, the idea of progress, I think it's possible to grow. But I think the idea, I think it's possible to grow constantly. But the idea of progress um, points to achievement, right? Where mm-hmm. we live in an achievement-obsessed culture, um, achievement over internal progress or internal growth, right? Which you can be doing when you're not visibly doing anything. Yes. And that very nicely brings me to the other thing that I wanted to go back to, which was when mm-hmm. you said that you became more internally rather than externally driven. I'm curious to know what yeah. that looked like for you and how that how that happened. Um, yeah, I think I at some point, I mean, and it's, I don't know if I can say it in a way. Um, I'm really, I think I became really aware that and i'm not it's not even i'm not even completely clean of of thinking this but um that i'm going to do something because it's going to help my own growth not because it's going to help me get ahead Mm -hmm. you know um and so i'm gonna do marketing because I'm going to be, I'm going to grow by being a better marketer and um, I'm going to, because, you know, I think marketing, especially uh, marketing um, for myself or marketing for my clients, there are all kinds of issues that it brings up. Mm -hmm. Do people like me? How, How can I charge money for this? or all kinds of things, brings up all those issues. So I think it's a really great um, personal development tool. Anything that brings up these issues are places where you can develop personally. And if you look at it that way, actually, you can end up just being better at something because you're thinking of it as a skill um, and not as you know, some kind of indictment about whether your art is good enough to sell or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's the most fascinating way of looking at marketing I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people think marketing is just this horrible, evil thing and nobody wants to do it because selling is, you know, you hear people say all the time, I don't want people to sell to me. Well, then how, if you have something to sell, how do you do that? You know, but... But looking at it that way, and I know you're talking about way more than just marketing when you, when you're saying, you know, that you can use it as a tool for growth, but wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I do. I think because I mean, the things that really bring up a lot of issues for you, like selling or promoting yourself, all mm-hmm. those things are where your growth lies. Um, so something about marketing, um, marketing is that bridge between your creative process and other people, right? Yeah. Um, and how you even get in front of other people to say, read your stuff or look at your stuff mm-hmm. or, or never mind, buy it, right? Right. That would be the next thing. But how do you even get in front of those people? And it brings up all kinds of issues about nobody's going to like my work. Mm -hmm. Um, I like it. So to hear a lot, I like my work, just not sure if other people are going to like it. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge area of growth. Like, can you even, can you think that other people are going to like it? Can you think that other people actually are going to love it and are going to want to buy it? Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's how you think about other people, mm-hmm. how you think about other people in relation to you, how you think about the value that you bring, um, and value on many different levels. Can this actually, uh, change somebody's life? Yeah. And it, um, yeah, can it change their minds? Can it can it inspire them to action? Because there are all kinds of things that we think are that we think art can do, right? Yeah. All kinds of things that we think art can do, but when it comes down to it, we don't really believe that ours can so often. Yeah. So there's a gap there in our thinking. Yeah, there's a gap there and I think that you know, when you're talking about value, I think a lot of us get confused when we think, like, I think on one level, we know not everybody is going to like what we do, Mm -hmm. right? Because life is not like that. There's pretty much nothing where everyone can agree that Mm -hmm. something is worth anything aside from, yes, oxygen and water and food are good, right? Mm -hmm. But, but somehow, it's like the first person, you can have 10 people, 100 people who love your book, your painting, your whatever. And one person stands up yeah. and says, I think this is crap. <laughs> and those 100 people suddenly don't count at all. Correct. It's like the dagger to the heart. And, and we define ourselves, and it probably goes back to everything we were just saying about fear, yeah. you know? Yeah. But we define ourselves by somebody hated what I did and not mm-hmm. all of these people really liked it. Yeah. Like that yeah. one thing can completely derail us and make us yeah. believe that we don't have any value at all, which is crazy. Yeah. So, you know, it's you have these thoughts, and our thoughts are we think them by choice. You know, we think it's the truth, but it's actually just a thought mm-hmm. that somebody doesn't like my work. Yeah. It's actually, it could be the truth, but you think something about it, mm-hmm. right? Okay. That person doesn't like my work. Therefore my work is bad. Um, so you can override those thoughts. So I would say just make a list Keep making lists every single day about why your work is valuable. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like brainwash. You literally brainwash yourself because you already are brainwashed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, you think these thoughts, you think these thoughts, and they're just thoughts. So just bring in some new thoughts because you can think whatever you want. You can think whatever you want. So make a make a list of all the good things that anybody's ever said. Make a list of all the good things you think about yourself and do it, do it every day mm-hmm. because it's too easy to remember the, the one negative thing. Mm-hmm. And then just remind yourself, oh, yes, that's what my brain is supposed to do. It's supposed to, um, supposed to latch on to that one negative thing and make me feel really bad. It's supposed to call into question all of what I've done. And, I, yeah. and, and it's just, I think, constantly just reminding yourself. I mean, it's a, it's a practice. Right. And, and I think just from my own personal experience, because I remember reading my first bad book review, it wasn't any fun at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was saved by two people. One was a coaching friend of mine who must have known that this existed. And if she didn't, she had great Google skills and insight to think to look for it, sent me two links all about famous, classic, well-regarded books that were panned when they came out. You know, reading the New York Times book review of The Handmaid's Tale, where Mm -hmm. they trashed it, Mm -hmm. made me feel a whole lot better. Yeah. And you know, the same thing. I mean, Van Gogh sold what one painting while he was Mm -hmm. alive and look what we think of him now. You know, I I think it's, it's useful from both sides to say, yeah, everybody gets panned, you know, people, people are wrong, you know, or people are outnumbered or, or whatever, or, you know, cause I've read the handmaid's tale and I'm sitting there going, somebody really thought this was a bad book. Were they, were they smoking something really (laughs) terrible at the time? (laughs) You know, so, so you kind of go, Okay. And, and also my, one of my grad school advisors, Rachel Pollack told me that someone once said that something she wrote was the worst thing ever written in the history of the universe. <laughs> I may have that slightly off, but the sentiment was exactly that. And, and it, you know, it hit her. And then later she looked at it and she thought, well, if it's the worst thing ever in the history of the universe, I've got nowhere to go but up. Yeah. yeah. And she told me yeah. she kind of wished that she'd kept it and framed it. You know, and but it did. I mean, both of those things may, you know, it's like you're not alone in, you know, first of all, you've got all these people behind you that you're ignoring, but you're also not alone in being panned. It happens to everybody. Yeah. And really, once it happens to you the first time, it's a whole lot easier to look at it after that and say, Yeah, okay, you're just not my audience. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things here. One is that, in the same way that you have thoughts about something, other people have thoughts, and it's not really even your business to know what other people think, or they have their own thoughts and their own issues and all kinds of things, and it's just really not your business to care too much about that. You know, mm-hmm. like care care about what you're thinking. Right. And the other thing is, you're right, that um, they're not your audience anyway. So you're, they're just not your audience. So write for the people who love you or make your art yeah. for the people who love you and not for the people who hate you, because then you're trying to please people that don't like you. Yeah. Yeah. There are always going to be the people who love everything you do 
and the people who hate everything you do and the people yeah. who are in the middle. Yeah. So right. Yeah. yeah. So do things for the people who love what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because they make you more of you. Oh, I like that. But that's so true. I had not it thought about true. that. Yeah. But yeah. 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 So I do want to make sure that we get to talk about, you know, how you help artists build a business, because those uh -huh. two things are, you know, tend to <laughs> keep them in separate silos on separate exactly. continents, maybe separate yeah. galaxies. Yeah. So how, how do you find, you know, a lot of artists I know, and other creative people resist the idea of business and selling and, and yet there's no other way to survive as an artist. So, yeah. I, so I will help people if they want to, if they want to do that, you know, so mm -hmm. if you don't want to do that, so that's okay. You don't have to do it, but there are people who want to, um, and it could be a uh, business, but mostly it's their careers. They want to move their careers forward. They want to be, have more recognition. They want to have more sales. They want mm -hmm. to, um, so I work with a lot of fine artists. They want to have their things in exhibitions and increasingly uh, better exhibitions in better venues and things like that. So um, it's a lot of what we talked about really is so much of it is the mindset mm -hmm. and saying, okay, it's really okay for me to want to make money. It's really okay. And that's like just basic first step, right? Mm -hmm. It's really okay. Um, it's really okay to uh, want to have your stuff out there. And um, we basically go through a process of creating a vision. So they, they have a big vision of the future, and then we break that down into goals. And I think the goals is where the goals are where you run up against all the, all the issues, all the stuff. Okay, mm -hmm. so um, the goal could be I want to, you know, it could be I want to make a certain amount of money. It could be something like I want to exhibit in uh, a place that's out of my local area because that's where I usually exhibit. Things like that brings up all the issues. Um, and I think that, so that's the next part is developing the mindset of the person who reaches those goals. Um, and then we just, we take action knowing that we're going to feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> that um, sounds like a fun step. <laughs> yeah. So much fun. Um, sometimes it's surprisingly easy actually. And, um, we celebrate the wins in a big way. Like we were talking about, you know, people mm -hmm. are loving your work. Well, we want to actually wire that in. Yeah. Really want to wire that in with not just thoughts about like how people like my work, but God, that really feels good. It makes my, makes me stand up straighter. It makes me, you know, it just makes me breathe easily. Um, all the things. And then, we, and then we evaluate like crazy. So every, um, I don't think that there's uh, failure or we, you know, or we like to court failure because that's mm -hmm. where we learn. We learn so much and we, um, we evaluate and we observe and we evaluate and we learn a ton because that's how you can actually accelerate your growth instead of not looking at your fears and not looking at 
what could have gone wrong and not wrong, not me and wrong, um, right or wrong, not being that somebody chose me or mm. that something happened to me, but what I did, what I was thinking, what I was feeling that contributed to this success right? or contributed to a situation where I could have, something could have been a lot better. All right. So um, I think the evaluating, the evaluation process is really important too, to um, just to learn um, what went right. Mm -hmm. Because we often think when um, something good happens that it just happened. Yeah. And people will say, oh, it was a fluke. Or down the line, they might say it was a fluke. Oh, that happened. It was a fluke. Because you never gave yourself the space to figure out what you did right. Mm -hmm. So you never owned it. Yeah. So I think owning, being able to own your successes is huge because if you don't, it leads to all kinds of things like imposter syndrome, not thinking that you can re um, replicate the success. Yeah. Um, and then, and then evaluating for what could be better. And so that each time you're making little tweaks, mm -hmm. not, you know, you're not saying I'll oh, forget it. It didn't work. I'm gonna just do something different. But how can you tweak things in a tiny way and keep learning? Yes. So that's basically what we do. It's actually pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about that is that, you know, that to me, which probably says so much about me, um, doesn't sound like business training. You know, no, it just, you no. Know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really so much of it is about your own growth. Mm -hmm. And if you prioritize your growth, your business will just do better. It just will. Your business doing better is a byproduct of your own growth. Boy, I feel like we could do an entire conversation just about that. <laughs> it's so good. Because it's just not something you hear people say, right? It's like, no, you have to read all the books and learn all the social media and the newsletter yeah. marketing and all of this kind of stuff. And I've, I don't think I've ever heard anybody put that that way before. And yeah, I'm looking at the clock and wishing that we had more time. So maybe we need to do another <laughs> one of these at some point. <laughs> well, I mean, this is the thing is you can be in terms of creativity, you can be, and not only can you be, but I think being creative in your business being creative in the way you grow your career is um, so much more fun. It it's, can be fun. It can be, um, it's so much more rewarding than reading all the books. I say, just throw out the yeah. books, you know, say yeah. throw out the books and do things the way you want to do them because you can be creative and you can create a career that looks like no one else's instead of trying to do all the right things because I think that's what leads to scarcity or just thinking that there's enough for everyone mm -hmm. because you're trying to follow the path that everybody else is trying to follow. But if, yeah. you, if you look at it from, okay, what do I really need to think in order to, um, you know, basically you need to make your work to build a career. You need to make your work and you need to get it in front of people. Mm -hmm. That's it. So if that's all you have to do, then how do you need to think? How do you need to think about yourself 
to be that kind of person. And then what you do is almost, I don't want to say it's doesn't matter, but it almost doesn't matter. It's just a natural extension. Exactly. Exactly. It just lays itself out in front of you. Sounds very woo woo, but I think it works. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've obviously seen it work. So yeah, it works. Cause it, you know, I, I, I'm picturing people thinking that's just way too simple. It is. It's, it just seems too simple, but the hard part is wrapping your brain around that, Mm -hmm. that your thoughts and your feelings just create your reality. Yeah. A lot more than we think we, that they do. Yeah. We think that it's, that our actions create our reality or and actions our reality, create results. And that our reality creates our thoughts and our feelings. Yeah. Yeah. But actually that by the time you've gotten to the action, you've already had your thoughts and your feelings. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think marketing and careers and businesses, it's just so fascinating. Yeah, it is. I mean, especially because, you know, there, there is still the part of me mm-hmm. that wants to recoil from the word business. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like it's this very serious, we are making widgets <laughs> and there is nothing creative about this. And it's all about the money, bring me the money. Mm-hmm. And you know, dehumanizing and and all of that. And, and it, it, I know that's not necessarily true. In a lot of cases it is true, but in a lot of cases it's not, but I still have that visceral reaction to that word. Mm -hmm. Like that is a place where I don't want to go, you know, in, and, and I know that I mean that in like a super corporate sense, Yeah, but still it's, it's literally a gut sense you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I have to work to remind myself that's not the only thing that word means. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a dirty word, but it turns off a lot of people, except for the people who are, you know, the high powered progress, 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 executive right, kinds like, of like people. The person you were talking to. Yeah. yeah. And then the rest of us are, you know, feel like, well, I'm not that kind of crazy driven person who let's be honest, is probably going to burn themselves out by the time they hit 50, if not before. Mm-hmm. And think that that's not something that's for us. Right. And, exactly. and I think that is something we need to shift as a yeah. culture. We need to shift it, but we can't do it as a culture until we do it individually. Yeah. And I think that even, so for the people who feel like that, those people are also, but those people can be very ambitious too. Mm-hmm. You know, so I talked to a lot of artists who are ambitious, but have that same feeling. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do all those things. I don't want to be that kind of, I don't want to turn into that kind of person. Um, yeah. And so there are all kinds of shifts that you have to make in your mind just about that. Yeah. In order to build your career. Yeah. There's terminology to redefine. Yeah. Just so that you can incorporate it. Yeah. And shifts that you have to make in your mind. And, and I do, I really think that they happen in our minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why, you know, focusing on what you want to do and why and how, how it will make you feel Mm -hmm. and not letting the people who say, but your 401k, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but you won't have medical insurance. Well, for a while, maybe, but you know, mm-hmm. that all the people and they are looking out for you. You're right. You know, they're trying to look out for you, but I think yeah. people also resist change in other people because they don't know what that means for them. But, mm-hmm. you know, even if we just look at, they are looking out for you, they're still focusing on all the things you won't have as yes. opposed to all the things you don't have now that you yes. want to achieve by going in this other direction. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times, and this is, goes back to, you know, let people have their thoughts, let mm-hmm. people have their thoughts because what they're saying is often a mirror of what they think about themselves. Yeah. So let them, let them have their thoughts, you know, and you can think, they're okay, gonna anyway, they're going to anyway, <laughs> they're going to have their thoughts anyway, and you can't stop them. But as aware as you are of their thoughts, be aware of your own and more so be much more aware of your own thoughts. Yeah. Um, because those are a lot more important. Yes. They're the only ones you can really work with anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, is there anything you think that ambitious artists or even artists who are afraid of ambition should know before we go? Um, you know, I think maybe ambition too is a turnoff word. Mm-hmm. So I'll use the word vision. That's a good one. Maybe that's, maybe that's less um, terrifying, but yeah. So it's, I think it's getting back to everything that we've been talking about. What is that vision of yourself? What's that vision of yourself? Um, what would that give you mm-hmm. to have this huge thing? And what if you didn't think about whether it was achievable or not, and you just thought of it as um, a vision and think about all the things you want and it's okay to want and think that, um, that what you're, that achieving that has ripple effects. Yes. Right. It has, it, it will affect the people around you. It'll affect your community. How you having that can help everything around you and then beyond and help generations, even the people. So, um, yes, I think that once you have that in your head as a vision, it actually, and, and, and really spell it out, like really, really go through, really visualize what that looks like. It then becomes a possibility, mm-hmm. right? So you have the vision. The vision becomes a possibility. And then the possibility can be a goal. And then the goal can be something that has to happen. And those, I mean, that's like squashing everything down, but it's like, well, what if you did, what if you had allowed yourself to have that vision and what if you had just had to make it happen instead of thinking it might happen one day or if I work really hard one day it will happen yeah yeah quitting is not an option yeah what if it's just not an option to not do it yeah too many of us give ourselves the option to not do it exactly and then we wonder why it doesn't happen exactly yeah yep well, I think this that's a great fun. place to stop. Totally fun. I have really enjoyed this. I'm so glad you <laughs> this came so much and fun. talked to me, Erica. <laughs> Thank you, Nancy.
That's it for this week's episode. My deep appreciation to Erica Ando and to you for listening. If someone came to mind while you were listening to this episode, I hope you'll pass it on to them. Thanks so much. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.